Greetings in the name of the Lord Jesus. Welcome to the service here this morning. We've been looking at 1 Peter. Some time ago, we looked at hope in the midst of hope and joy in the midst of trial in 1 Peter chapter 1. And it seems that the Apostle Peter, once he starts talking, he rambles from one thing to the next and just keeps moving and one, one thought just leads him on to the next thought and you wonder, well, how is this all coordinated? And, and uh, it, it just seems that there's just so much he wishes to share. This morning I've entitled the message, Take Salvation Seriously. We've looked at Peter addressing these suffering brethren. And he reminds them that right now you are in deep trial. You're having a hard time. Manifold temptations for a season. Heavy trial. It's tough. And it's a trial of your faith. It's a trial that's testing you, putting you through fire, so to speak. And Peter says, just, just, just let it be to the praise and glory of the Lord. At the end, when Jesus comes back. And Peter reminds these people, he says, remember there is an inheritance. Things don't end bad for God's people. They just don't. Things may be tough, but things don't end bad for God's people. There is an inheritance that is undefiled, that doesn't fade away, that is incorruptible because of what Jesus has done. And Peter says, you may not see Jesus, but you still love him. Even though you don't see him, you believe him. You put your trust in him. We looked at that whole concept of that what honors God so much is faith. Not necessarily big faith, but faith. It's nice if faith is big. We are in deep spiritual trouble when faith is gone. When we've lost out of faith. And then Peter says, receiving the end of your salvation... The end result, the final, that is, the end result of your faith, what is it? The salvation of your souls. That's a result of trust, is salvation. And Peter's referring to that future salvation. Yes, we are presently saved and are being saved, but there is a salvation that is future. That happens when the child of God steps from this life into eternal life, into eternity. And there is a security there then for the child of God. And as Peter in verse 9 is talking about this salvation, he, he goes off onto another, uh, I almost call it tangent, on a different subject. I'd like to read verses 10 through 12. This morning. 
of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them which have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. How special is salvation to you? Would you agree with me that sometimes for us who've grown up in Christian homes and Christian settings, gone to Sunday school, gone to church, you know, this has been, that this whole thing of salvation has become a, just a little common? Yes, uh, no, 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 we're glad we have it. We're glad we have it. We know we can't be without it. But somehow, and if somebody, you know, you meet someone who is constantly talking about being born again and saved, we think, well, he's gone a little off one end. You know, spiritual life is more than salvation. And yes, it is. Yes, it is. But I wonder how much we realize what we've been saved from and by. I was just thinking as, our, as Brother Warren was sharing here this morning. I'm wondering what salvation meant to Rahab. It was that, that scarlet cord and I'm wondering if she and all those in her household that were there, as these men, these, this whole Israel group of people walking around six days, I'm wondering if there weren't thoughts, is it going to be enough? Are we going to be okay? I'm not saying she doubted. But that, that was what she had to trust in. That the Israel, the Hebrew people said, "You leave that cord there, and that's our sign. You will not be destroyed." She had to put entire faith into what she had been told to do. That's putting a lot into a little. putting an awful lot into a little. And I'm wondering, she and her family, later on, when they, when they were part of the people of Israel, the only Jerichoites that survived. I'm wondering if they didn't often think back, look back, talk silver cord uh, that scarlet cord that scarlet cord I wonder what happened to that scarlet cord probably it's best that it isn't around because people would have put trust in it that shouldn't where they shouldn't have 
But I'm, I, I, I would believe that salvation meant had a tremendously deep meaning to Harlan and her family. I can only imagine. I can only imagine. Not only did she see the power of God and what he did with Jericho and the walls coming down and all that, but that she and her family was spared, were spared. And I would believe that salvation to, to Rahab was a very personal but very serious matter. It was not something to, to just give glib light appreciation to. And just say, yeah, yeah I was saved. Mm-hmm. No. I believe there was something very, very, very deep about it. Very, very, very deep about it. So how, how, how special is it to us? I'm not just talking about the time when, when you and I came to the Lord and we said, I'm a sinner and I need Jesus. Yes, that, that, that's, that's the personal application of it. But just the whole concept, the whole idea of salvation, how God provided salvation. What He did in the last number of years as part of a study I've been doing, I've been going through different terms that refer to the whole salvation process, like propitiation, justification. You know, we read these words. What do they mean? You start studying the, the, the under, what these words are. Wow. Salvation is not just a, an ordinary light matter anymore. It isn't. You start focusing on, on, the, on the, the purpose of Christ's coming and, and all that he went through and the, the, the whole cross experience and everything and, and, and you start letting that grip you. That's big. And that he did that for not just for people who once in a while did some wrong things but for sinners. Not just people who did wrong, but people who are wrong. Because all of us, we, we, sinned not, we, we sinned not just because we sinned, we sinned because we were sinners. We were by nature, the Bible says, children of wrath. It wasn't just that we once in a while slipped and made a wrong move. That was our normal course because that's just how we were before a person is born again. And I cannot fathom how God, how God, we know how holy and just and righteous He is and how, how God could, could, could devise a plan to redeem this fallen, sinful humanity, sin-natured humanity, and how, how God could touch humanity without tainting himself. 
this Ebola virus and whatever else is going in West Africa. I mean, it's yes, there are precautions you can take. And I understand one of the things is you don't touch unless you have precautions. But here, God didn't only just tap humanity. He <coughs> and made a way that man could be redeemed and God himself saved the pure, holy God that he is. And now he gives us a choice. Not only does he give us a choice, but he, not only does he make a way, but then he comes and through his spirit he offers. I've been impressed recently again that, you know, Jesus said, no man comes to the Father except my spirit draws you. We don't come to God just because we want to. We decide that this is a good thing. We come because there is a drawing by God's Spirit. And so God did not only provide the way, He makes the first move for you and me personally. And for many of us, he comes, He's come repeatedly. It wasn't just, I'll give you one chance and if you don't take it, you're... No. Again. Again, again, won't you respond? Won't you, won't, won't you commit yourself? How well do we appreciate that? Do we understand? How to be born again? Yes, most, most children of God can explain, okay, this is what you need to do. You need to accept Jesus. You need to believe. You need to confess. You need to repent. You know, we, we know what we need to do because if you're born again, you did it. <laughs> and so I hope you understand what happened. Can we explain that to, to others? Can we help them? There's not a particular method, you know, if you follow this recipe. No. But these concepts need to be there. But can, do we also understand, for what humans can understand, God's part in this whole salvation process? See, salvation is not just man's part. Man has the responding part, yes. But God, what God provided, what God initiated, and what God gives... Why, why, take it, why, why take salvation seriously? Because there are at least two groups that do, or that did. And Peter refers to them. First of all, he says it's the prophets. He says, of which salvation? This salvation provided in Jesus Christ, which, that we can be saved from our sins, that we can become children of God, reconciled to God, and, and eventually live with the Lord again, with Jehovah God in paradise, forever, 
of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently. He says these prophets, they were at a they 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 could only view this salvation at a distance and so with with you know really dim. They could not see what you and I can. They could not at their time experience with the understanding what you and I can. And yet it says these prophets inquired. I understand that that, that, that word has there's an intensity with that. Diligently seeking out scrutinizing with care. And they searched diligently. They explored. They searched out the prophecies, the truths that God's Spirit gave to them. The things that they revealed. These were not ideas that just that they just somehow came out of their own mind, of their own thinking. They were saying things that they themselves did not really fully grasp. But these were God's words. And so they said them. But they didn't just say, well, God told me to say it and left it. No, they searched diligently. They inquired. They wanted to understand what they were recording and what they were, what they were saying by searching, by investigation of other prophecies, of other scriptures. They knew that they had great and glorious truths to share they couldn't fully understand them. They searched these things. You prophesied of the grace that should come to you. And Peter reminds them, he says, you suffering believers are the ones, are recipients, and can understand this grace more than what the prophets could. You are privileged you are privileged. And we are part of that group. The favor that we should receive in the gospel, that grace that we should receive. You look at, we look up to men like Moses, David, Zechariah, Micah, Isaiah. These men prophesied of Christ and of Christ's work and Christ's death. And all, all this, especially Isaiah, it's, it's more or less the gospel in the Old Testament. And just a lot of glorious truths. And yet, brothers and sisters, you and I can understand more than what Isaiah could. Because we have the Holy Spirit in a, how should I say, in an enlightened way. And we, we can look back to Calvary. Where Isaiah couldn't. And we have the written word that God has recorded, the entire New Testament. We have all that. They don't have they didn't have that. And so you and I have a privilege and we have an accountability, salvation wise, that beats Isaiah. Verse 11 says, searching what? They examined their, their 
their, ex, their predictions, their prophecies. What? Who, who is this referring to? What's this Messiah going to be like? What's this Savior going to be like? What kind of character? What's, what's he going to do? There, were cer- there are certain things that the Old Testament clearly records. But we must remember, we are looking at those things from a New Testament perspective and we can say, aha, now it makes sense. They couldn't do that. They had to just look ahead. And that's why, during the time of Jesus, this whole concept of the Messiah was... It make, if all we had was what they had at that time... It's a little more logical, if you want to say, why, why they couldn't understand all that they did. We have a much larger foundation from which we comprehend by God's Spirit what the person of Christ, the person of this Messiah, or what manner of time, the conditions of the age in which this would all happen. What's it going to be like when this salvation appears? I guess we look a bit at the future that way. We don't know what's all going to take place. And we read the scriptures that we understand apply to the, the end time in which we live, we believe. But, you know, we, and we try, to, we try to determine, we try to understand, what, how's this all going to fit? How's this all going to work together? And uh, we come up with varied views. And all of us, none of us say, this is the way it must be. <laughs> We're not certain. There, there's things that, that, that somehow puzzle us. See, and that's, that's how Isaiah and all these other prophets were regarding the salvation, which you and I can look back to now and say, this is how it is. This is what happened. We can understand it that way. This is the conditions. See, and it says the Holy Spirit, the, the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify. He did manifest these things to them. Wouldn't you feel uh, somewhat, I don't know, if you were prompted to say things that you fully didn't grasp. Normally, teachers are supposed to say things that they know, that they can explain. And here, are these prophets is I'll, I'll tell you what God said, but I have questions. <laughs> I guess that's what we do when we preach the word, too, right, Brother Arnie? We don't always fully know everything that's what it's all about, but we say. Trusting that that's what God's Spirit wants us to say. When it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ. Here this Messiah was supposed to come and save people from their sins. Here this Messiah was supposed to free people. And how he would suffer, he would die. Isaiah 53 somehow does not quite fit, does it? I understand even today the Jewish people the, 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 the Jewish re, the, that, that hold to the Jewish religion have a real problem on, 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 with Isaiah 53. 
They don't know what to do with it. It's a puzzle. Of course, it always will be if you don't have Jesus in the picture. Testified of Christ's sufferings and then a testified of the glory that should follow. How can good come out of bad? See, you must remember, Peter is writing to these, to these suffering believers who are going through trial. And he's reminding them, just look, good came out of bad. Christ suffered, but there were the glories that should follow. And so we as God's children, he says, Peter says, you as God's children, even though your faith is being tested, it's being tried, and it's, things are going through hard times, but there's a glory to follow. Salvation has that. that that's, that's, that's almost an inbuilt concept. It's there. What were the glories that should follow? Of course, that Jesus rose from the dead. There is life after death. There is eternal life after death. And secondly, that the gospel was now available to all nations. Salvation is a fulfillment of the past prophecies. It's there. And so these prophets, they searched they tried to understand and they died not understanding what you and I have the privilege to understand. I'm not saying that God's children understand it fully now. There is an element of, of this whole salvation process and concept that it's going to take heaven before, before any of us will fully grasp it. But we have access to more than what the Old Testament prophets did. We do. Verse 12, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister these things. And somehow these prophets even knew. We're not going to get the full content of it here. There are believers coming in a certain era of time, which, which is the church age now that are going to understand something unique, something that's very special, that a whole thousands of years of, of pre-Calvary time was just, just a dim candle. That's all it was. But Peter reminds them, these things they did minister, they ministered these things which are now reported unto you by them which have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. You, suffering ones, you in the present time are the privileged ones designated to receive what the prophets so desperately would have loved to know. And God, through His Holy Spirit, has placed you in that time so that you had the privilege of having the apostles and ministers of the New Testament share these truths with you. The Holy Ghost it has, has become part of your life. That same Holy Spirit 
that prompted these prophets to say what they did, you now have in a measure as well, in a fuller measure as well, the most humble believer is permitted to see what the most distinguished prophet never could. And yet, what the Holy Spirit told the Old Testament prophet, what the Holy Spirit tells tells you and your heart through God's word today is the same thing. That hasn't changed. And so this is all spirit-led truth. And so Peter wants to impress on these believers the value of the gospel and the privilege that you and I enjoy. We have something that prophets died not knowing. We are reaping benefits of the labors of the prophets. We are seeing clearly what they could only envision obscurely and even dream probably to some degree. We have a salvation that's that big. We have a salvation that's that wonderful. And we who have the access to it, do we, the question is, do we we take the intensity of the prophets and their interest to ourselves? Is there that diligence that they had? Children, I know when we talk about salvation, we talk about big people and they need to make commitments to the Lord when they're young people and when Jesus calls them. But children, I want to tell you something. Jesus didn't die just for big people. Jesus came because he loves every single one. The youngest child that is here and the oldest grandparent that is here. Great-grandparents already, too. He does. And you are just as special to Jesus as those people that have become part of, that have become members in the church. Jesus loves you. And Jesus came and he died for you. Jesus came because he loved you and he wanted to show that he loves you. And so he, he says, I am going to give my life because you are so special. Because I love you so much. And because of that, you can love him. And as you get older, Jesus is going to show himself more and more to you as you continue loving him. He will. He will. You continue loving Jesus. You're on the right track. You're on the right track. There will be decisions that you will need to make. That's fine. But you just continue loving Jesus. Make that your number one goal. 
Make that your number one goal. Sometimes you may have heard of the word gospel. That word gospel means good news. That's what it is. It's that special thing that God gave us. He gave us gospel. He gave us the good news that Jesus loves everybody and that Jesus made a way so that everybody can go to heaven if they choose to love Jesus and follow him. That's gospel. That's good news. So continue loving Jesus because he loves you. You'll be okay. You'll be okay. Like I said, there will be decisions you will need to make as you get older. That's fine. All of us have had to make those too. But make that goal of loving Jesus the important one for you. And I know your parents want to help you with that. That's why they take you to Sunday school. That's why, that's why they, they teach you about God's word. That's why you go to Christian school and, and Christian, you have Christian teaching in your home. That's why. Because loving Jesus is the most important thing that any of us can ever do. Now there's another group of people, not people, huh? another group of beings that have a tremendous interest in salvation. And Peter just, just makes a last phrase about them, the end of verse 12. He talks about these, these truths that we have heard that have been preached to us uh, through the, oh, the Spirit's working that the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Now, if it comes from heaven... And angels don't understand this? Angels are in heaven. If anybody should understand stuff from heaven, it would be angels. But there's something heavenly that you and I have a grasp on that angels don't in the same way. Okay, I'm not saying that angels can't tell you all about the incarnation of Christ and why Jesus came. And they, can, they, they, they can tell you all that much better than what you and I can. They, they, they grasp that. They comprehend that. But there's something about this experience of salvation they know nothing about. They don't know the joy of what it's like to be released from sin and guilt. They have no idea what that's like. For them, if an angel chose to fall away from God, he's doomed, gone. He's, there's no return. There's no, there's no way of repentance. There may be a way of regret, but no way of repentance. There's no way back. Angels don't, don't understand that. They, don't, they, 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 can't, they can't follow that. They can't experience that. And the scripture tells us here, the angels desire to look into. I understand that that word desire is, the same, is a similar word or a same word that was used at the garden of Christ, at the, at the tomb of Christ in the garden. 
when Peter and John came there, they came in and they looked intently into that tomb. They didn't just run by what's there. No. They came and they, they looked intently. They had, they had a goal. Is Jesus here? And he wasn't. Angels desire. They have that strong interest. As one who earlier could not see clearly because of distance, draws near, stoops down to observe more distinctly. That's what these angels are doing. There's a passionate desire to curiously inspect. They're fascinated. They try to grasp this as fully as they can. And yet they are in heaven, in the presence of the Lord. And brothers and sisters, you and I have a grasp in a way that they don't. Sure, there's many things about salvation that I am positive they understand much no more about than what I do. But there are elements of this salvation. Their interest lies in this whole mystery of how this all took place. That guilty people can be pardoned without God becoming tainted. That there is a way which angels cannot experience to be born again. That it is through the blood of Christ, Christ, God's only Son, this method of pardon. Those angels saw those, I don't know, probably millions of gallons of blood that were shed in the Old Testament. I'm sure, I don't know how many, but a lot. They saw all that. And that only just covered and just, you know, temporarily took care of it. And here the blood of Jesus Christ one time permanently just does the whole job. That's fascinating. And the scripture tells us there's one thing that, that angels, that just astounds them and that is this whole concept of the church. I'm not going to read all these verses. But in Ephesians chapter 3, you start reading there. It's For one thing, it says, uh, verse 10, To the intent now that the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. I understand looking at that verse that the church is the teacher of angels. This whole concept of how God put the church together of Jews and Gentiles, everybody, one, one body in Christ, is something that, that is fascinating to angels. And it, it just it's a display of God's wisdom. And angels marvel at this. They have an intense wandering in, not wandering, wondering interest at what God is doing on the earth. Yes. The Bible says there's joy in heaven over one sinner that repents. But this whole thing of the church is something that angels marvel at. How God has done this. 
They're not participants in salvation, but they are definitely spectators. They watch the saints who once were these depraved, sinful people and now are born again and are righteous with God. And in the church they catch the supreme view of God's love and grace. Sinners raised to the seat of the heavenlies in Christ. They marvel at this. They know God's holiness. They know His majesty. They know His glory. They know His judgment. And we could talk from here till the time Jesus comes and we still wouldn't be able to understand and speak the things that angels know about all those things of God. But they marvel at salvation that you and I talk about. Angels will never be sons or servants. You and I can be called children of God. And they, don't, they, they, they do not have the experience of Christ's love in the same way, in a way that you and I do. I'm not... In fact, the Bible says that we will judge angels, I believe, to say that. I'm not saying that angels are less than we are. But there they are in the presence of God, worshiping and glorifying God. And yet, would, would just... Love, are so fascinated by, by the gift of salvation that you and I have received. They have vast knowledge, they have a lot of ability, they have a lot of power, but it's limited. And so my question this morning for us is, how special is salvation? When prophets died not fully knowing, people who we say were dedicated to God fully, when angels who are in the presence of God have a deep desire to know, what about us? Is there an aspect of apathy in our lives? Because it's been around so much. We're somewhat used to it. Maybe you're a young, per maybe you're a person here who has not experienced this salvation. You've heard a lot about it, and you say, "Home, oh, yeah." Pastor Pete, there again, same topic. Heard that before. If there's anything that's worth treasuring, it is God's salvation. If there's anything that we should be holding high, if anything we should be talking serious, I'm not talking with a, no, with a sense of joy, with a sense of earnestness because of how extremely important it is. It is this whole thing of salvation. It's wonder. The privilege we have to know it and to have it. It's reality. It's not just something that is a maybe or is a dream. It's real. And it's complete. It is totally satisfying. It meets every condition this side and on the eternal side. 
and it's priceless. To lose it, you lose everything. To have it, you have everything, basically. And if it is that serious and valuable to us, it's going to make a difference in how we think about people who don't have it. I think it's going to make a difference in how we pray for people who don't have it. There's going to be a sense of passion in our lives about it, but we may not be that demonstrative about it and just express it. But... This whole thing of salvation is going to grip us and it's going to do something to our souls about our salvation and and the salvation of other people. We're going to enjoy it. We're going to study it. We're going to try to live up to its full capacity. We'll be eager to share it. 